0: Uh, you may be aware that uh, that in America we live in a world of pretty tightly managed uh, contingency plans. Uh, not long ago, we purchased a new van, and when you buy a new car, you can add an extended warranty to go along with it. You can pay up front for all of your maintenance costs if you'd like. Uh, you can pay for all of your repair costs. You can pay for your roadside assistance in case you break down. And of course, we've got our insurance to cover our accidents, and just in case those accidents are not your fault, you can put a lawyer on retainer. You can cover all of the bases with all of our contingency plans. Uh, We do the same thing with our health insurance, uh, with our homeowner's insurance. We can insure our vacations uh, just so that we can make sure that we'll get reimbursed if we can't get on that plane to the Bahamas. There is almost no end to the peace of mind that we can attempt to purchase against the future. Don't ask me how the algorithm works, uh, but for some reason, this week my Google News Feed decided that I needed to know that at the height of her modeling career, Heidi Klum's legs were insured for $2.2 million. And if we're just willing to take out another policy, we can guard against any number of unintended catastrophes disasters that befall our fishing boats, our washing machines, the the health of our pets. Now, those contingency plans are are often a pretty good idea, even if uh, we might uh, grumble about some of them up front. You know, health insurance is expensive, and it seems expensive until you have a child who gets really, really sick. And flood insurance seems wasteful unless you're standing knee-deep uh, in your floating belongings. Now, I'm not uh, not trying to convince you uh, to buy more insurance. I, I have uh, no stake uh, in Geico, and I'm not trying to sell you anything, but I hope you realize that in the 3,000 years since Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, not much has changed about the unexpected nature of life. You know, insurance really is just one of our modern ways of dealing with the fact that the things that we fear happening actually happen. The disasters that find other people also manage to find us. And what we need more than insurance, more than contingency plans, is the wisdom to prepare for an unknown future. That's what this text uh, is about today. It's about uh, the right kind of wisdom. And Solomon begins this passage with something that we already know. Uh, First point here, he tells us that life is unpredictable. Life is unpredictable. Look again at verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Life is unpredictable. Actually, we already know that. Uh, We know that because uh, that's what Solomon has been telling us for much of Ecclesiastes already. Uh, Back in chapter 3, he told us there's a time for everything under the sun. He told us that God makes everything beautiful in its time, and yet we can't find out what God is doing from beginning to end. In fact, we can't even predict what might come next. And so as we've gone through the observations of this book, Solomon's told us that he's seen all kinds of things that you wouldn't believe, that you wouldn't predict. He's seen wickedness in the place of justice. Solomon has seen righteous men perishing in their righteousness. He has witnessed slaves becoming kings. He's seen great riches lost in bad ventures. Much of the observation of the entire book pushes us to agree with chapter 9, verse 11, that things don't turn out the way that you expect because time and chance happen to us all, and we know that. We know that life is unpredictable, partly because Solomon's been telling us about it and partly because we live in it every day. We've seen the things that Solomon is telling us about. We've seen the better team lose the championship because of a bad play or or a bad injury. We have seen brilliant people with degrees and credentials and we watch them hop along from one bad job to another bad job and they never seem to be able to land somewhere solid. Uh, We've seen the stronger armies and the larger nations with more resources and and better firepower struggle to maintain footholds in a war. And so the Americans show up in Vietnam with their machine guns and with their helicopters and with their jets dropping napalm. And meanwhile, the Viet Cong dig tunnels and set traps and bury uh, landmines in the jungle and they wait. And you can't always know how things will turn out because time and chance happen to us all. Now, when Solomon writes about chance in this verse, it it doesn't mean that he is denying God's hand in history. Uh, Language of of randomness and and chance is pretty rare in the scriptures, but it's there. Uh, Maybe you remember that battle scene in in 1 Kings chapter 22. Uh, We read there, it says that a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Why did it happen that way? Why, why was it random? What was going on with that chance encounter? Well, it happened that way because earlier in the same chapter, Micaiah the prophet said that the Lord had declared disaster for Ahab. Ahab tried to avoid it. Uh, he tried to, uh, to disguise himself on the battlefield, but the arrow found its mark anyway. It happened randomly, says the writer. Well, but chance is just one of the ways that humanity describes God's unseen hand. Derek Kidner puts it this way. He says that providence operates in secret. But to man's view, life is largely made up of steps into the unknown, of events out of the blue. And so it's a matter of perspective, you see. That's how Solomon could say back in chapter 9, verse 1, uh, that the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. And then here in verse 11, he draws our attention uh, to the idea of chance. The difference comes down to who is describing the situation. The believer trusts in the sovereign hand of God. The unbeliever chocks it all up to chance. Nevertheless, it's the Lord who's directing our courses. And we all, believers and unbelievers alike, live in the same world, the same life where we can't know for certain what will happen from one moment to the next. Sometimes all we can know uh, for sure is that hard things are going to find us eventually. Look at verse 12. It says, for man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net. And like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. It could be the day of our death. It could just be uh, an unplanned disaster, but we're all going to get caught eventually. That's the fallen world that we live in. Life is unpredictable, and sometimes it is unpredictably difficult, but God in his mercy is warning us now in his word. He's telling us ahead of time that we won't always know what comes next. What will it be? Will it be uh, natural disasters or sunshine? Will it be economic ruin or prosperity? Will you have a long life filled with family and happy memories, or will there be a fatal accident in your early 30s? We don't know. God knows. And he directs the random arrow to its intended target. He has numbered all our days when as yet there was none of them, says the psalmist. But you and me, we, we live without the knowledge of exactly what the Lord has planned for the details of our lives. And from our vantage point, we live in a life that is unpredictable. And that raises the question that Solomon turns to next of what we can do. What can we do in the face of our uncertain future? Do we just throw our hands up and, and wait for disaster to take us? Do we give in to the despair, to the anxiety of the unknown? Or do we live as wisely as our limited view will allow us? That's Solomon's answer. P- pursue the wisdom that you can while you're able. Even if wisdom can't solve everything, it's still incredibly valuable. And that's our second point, that though life is unpredictable, wisdom is still valuable. And so with the rest of chapter 9, Solomon offers us an example of wisdom followed by an evaluation of wisdom. The example comes uh, in verse 14. He says, there is a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. You notice the disparity in that language between the small and the great, everything in that description assumes annihilation for the little city. Anyone in their right mind would assume that the story ends with dead bodies and a pile of rubble. But sometimes the unexpected happens. He's already told us that the battle is not to the strong. And so verse 15 tells us that when disaster showed up, there was one poor wise man who was wise enough to make a difference. Now You know how these things go by now, I'm sure. So, scholars uh, attempt to figure out the historical situation that the preacher Solomon has in mind. Now, I, I do think that he has a real situation in mind. He's not just making this up, but I also get the sense that if we knew what he was talking about, if we had more details than he gives us in these verses, we'd probably be tempted to miss the point. The same thing happens when we read the Psalms. There's some of those Psalms that we read, and the inscription at the beginning tells us exactly what was happening in David's life when he wrote that prayer. And so maybe it's it's the one that he wrote when he was on the run from Saul, when he pretended to be a madman in Abimelech's court, or, or it's the psalm that he wrote when Nathan the prophet confronted him about Bathsheba, and we read those psalms, and we almost can't help but see David's words in connection with David's life, and, and they're helpful, yes, but, uh, but even if our lives don't fit, fit the same situation exactly, we're, we're always sort of leaning on David's experience. Then there are the other psalms, the ones that we have no idea about the background, the ones that we can't place in a particular situation. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And we pray that psalm with David. And when we do, we learn more about the Lord than we do about the king. We learn more about the principle that no matter what we face, the Lord is our stronghold and our salvation. And we can more easily apply that to our circumstances, whatever they might turn out to be. The same thing's happening here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. The principle of the value of wisdom is far more important than whatever tactics might have been used. You know, there are ways to save cities. There are diplomatic decisions and, and, and military maneuvers. There are last-ditch efforts that cost you everything except your life. And if Solomon had told us what this man did, that's what we would pay attention to. Solomon told us that uh, that this poor wise man saved the city by sending out spies by night to, to poison the drinking water of the invaders. Somebody would find a way to turn that text into a a lesson on how to destroy an army bigger than you. But this passage isn't a lesson about fighting big enemies. This passage is a reminder that wisdom is valuable no matter what you might face. It's a reminder that when you walk in wisdom, you can often find a way forward, even when life presents you with a dead end. The principle is that wisdom is worth the effort. In fact, Solomon wants to convince us that wisdom is worth the effort, even when it seems like it probably won't turn out to be. That's why he tells us, even though he saved the city, he goes on to say that no one remembered this poor man. That's why he tells us that even though a poor man's wisdom is despised, verse 16, still wisdom is better than might. That's why he tells us in verse 17 that the words of the wise, heard, and quiet are better. Than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Don't miss the force of what he's saying here. And Israel was a culture based on honor, based on status, based on recognition of the contributions you could make to the community. And if you were overlooked and despised in those days, you had absolutely nothing, socially speaking. If the contribution you were going to make to your community might actually lead others to think less of you and to speak ill of you, it was the kind of thing that made you hesitate before you took the right course. And once we understand that, we can see how this applies to our own temptation to sometimes think that wisdom isn't worth our effort. There are some situations that are simply so hopeless that we lose heart. There are disasters in our family disasters in our health, disasters in the spiritual development of our children. There are times that we are so crushed by our circumstances that we wonder, what's the use of walking in wisdom? What's the use of following God's wisdom particularly? I mean, what difference could regular prayer and family worship make against the crushing influence of the unbelieving world that it's putting upon your children? Why bother praying with your husband about the decision that you both have to make when it feels like you're going to be sunk either way you turn? And there are times that we're tempted to think that wisdom, and God's wisdom in particular, just might not be worth the effort. There are other times that we're tempted to think that wisdom will be positively harmful. Not harmful to our souls, of course, but harmful to our social standing. If we follow God's ways, we might lose our clout. We might be seen as out of touch by our kids or by our coworkers. You know, it's often assumed that peer pressure is something that only affects the young and the prideful, Uh, that it's the kind of thing that you outgrow as you get older. I want to challenge you, though, just to watch uh, that middle-aged Christian couple have a conversation with their grown daughter who's coming to stay for a weekend visit. And by the way, she's going to be bringing her boyfriend with her, and her parents couldn't possibly be so out of touch as to think that the boyfriend should sleep in a separate room, would they? There are times that we're worried that following the Lord's wisdom might do more harm to our relationships in the long run than the wisdom is worth in the short term. There are times when we are up against a force that feels stronger than simple obedience can handle. And in those moments, Solomon wants you to remember that wisdom is valuable. Even when life is unpredictable, it's always worth the trouble to walk in the wisdom of the Lord. You know, but the final lesson in this passage uh, helps us uh, not to trust in our wisdom more than we trust in the God who gives it. The final point is that though wisdom is valuable, wisdom is also vulnerable. Wisdom is vulnerable. So Solomon writes in verse 18, wisdom uh, is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. The opening of chapter 10, as I mentioned, sounds the same note. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom. And honor. It's one of these Proverbs that explains itself. Uh, these words were written uh, before there were processed chemicals. Uh, artificial scents, these words were written in the days when, when ointments and perfumes were made with ingredients that had a tendency to attract their own kind of wildlife. And the question is, how many putrid bugs need to crawl into the container before the perfume needs to be thrown out? Again, just like ointment, wisdom is a precious thing. It's hard fought. It's slowly acquired. It is tended and guarded by years of careful attention to the way of the Lord, but it only takes a single bad decision to undo decades of of wise choices. Just one catastrophic lapse of judgment. Just one drink. Too many, just one night spent in the wrong company, and you can carry the weight of regret for the rest of your life. Every parent knows the principle. Praise your children 10 times and say one harsh thing that you wish you could take back, and guess which one your kids will remember. A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. It could be that that folly comes from you. It could be that that folly shows up in somebody else. Either way, this is a warning that even when our wisdom is working as well as it can, we are only ever a single sin away from heartache and ruin or a loss of the gifts that make life sweet and enjoyable. I think this is part of the realism of Solomon's approach to wisdom in Ecclesiastes, Wisdom is valuable, yes, but it's, it's also terribly, painfully vulnerable. It's something that's precious and easily broken. It's something that's far too quickly and easily stolen, sometimes by our tempers and our choices. And so this is a call for us to be realistic, to be realistic about the fragility of our human attempts at wisdom. It's a call not to be prideful about our ability to direct our own futures. Life is unpredictable. We are as likely to contribute to that unpredictability as are all the other variables that are outside of our control. But if we know that, if we know that, excuse me, if we know that it's a blessing and not a curse, If we recognize that not even our own wisdom can deliver us when we were taken by life's surprises, that forces us to look beyond ourselves for deliverance. And that's the essence of true wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The wisdom that God gives is the willingness to lean not on our own understanding, but instead to trust the Lord with all of our hearts. Dear friends, we live in an unpredictable world. And we, in our sin, are part of that unpredictability. That means that what we need most is not an insurance policy, not some contingency plan, not some other human wisdom to trust in when things get hard with our lives. What we need and who we need is the God who does not change. The one who is the same yesterday and today and forever. We need the Lord whose mercies are new every morning whose compassions fail not, so that we're not consumed. When we realize that in this volatile existence, all of our personal wisdom is soft and shifting, what we need is the wisdom to cry out with Psalm 27. And whatever circumstances we may find ourselves, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Who we need is the God who's revealed himself and revealed his unchanging wisdom in the person of his son. And that's what we find through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, even though the world thinks that our faith is something that's vain and foolish, and not worth much at all. Paul says that Christ Jesus has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. We know that life is unpredictable. You don't know that if tomorrow is going to bring prosperity or death, the next week, the next hour, the next breath is not guaranteed to you when the Holy Spirit breathes faith into our souls, he gives us the wisdom to trust the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And he gives us that saving wisdom to trust Christ for our eternity, but he also gives us that sanctifying wisdom to trust Christ day by day and to learn how to follow him. No Christian worth their salt would try to tell you that faith in Jesus makes life easy and predictable and always pleasant. But every true believer will tell you that even when life is unpredictable, Christ teaches us more and more the value of trusting his wisdom rather than our own. That's what the Lord gives to us by faith. He gives us wisdom in his word. In his mercy, he speaks wisdom to us through the wisdom of other believers who are wiser than we are. He gives us his gracious laws. He gives us the gift of prayer. He gives us the right to cry out for his guidance and the promise that all those who lack wisdom, he will supply. And that's what we need most as we feel our way through an unknown future. We need the wisdom to walk with the Lord, even when life is unpredictable to join me in prayer. Gracious Lord our God, we thank you uh, that wisdom is not just a practical thing, but it's a theological thing, not just something that we gain through learning and wisdom and reading and studying, but it's something that we gain as we follow you and as you by your Holy Spirit work obedience into our hearts as you cause us to mortify the desires of the flesh and the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. We pray, oh Lord, that you would make your people wise. We pray that you would give us first the wisdom to trust in Jesus Christ and to find life by his name and his sacrifice. But we pray that you would continue to lead us to yourself. There are many twists and turns and we don't know what comes next and we can be snared at any moment, but we pray that you'd give us wisdom. Help us, Lord, to trust in you, to believe in your word, to follow your son, and to know your goodness for your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.